This is Jan Cox, talk number 2,549, recorded July 10th, 2000. Some things are essential, some are merely human. Trying to awaken is one of the latter. Hey, but don't say that I told you. But this invites a question. Even if it is in the strictly human realm, is something you want to do becomes essential to you, is it not then truly essential? And hey, don't say that I ask. Once your brain produces the activity men call mind, and you have become but a synapse in the collective consciousness of mankind, Drawing the mental distinction between what is essential in your life and what is not is a challenge both beyond, is a challenge both beyond an older man's ability and interest. But ah, ah, I say, a man wanting to get to the bottom of things should have a keen, keen interest in this matter. To wit, what is essential in my personal life and what clearly is not. Now I'll admit that investigating this can be pretty boring, but hey, that's life. <laughs> One man believes thus, quote, If I understand fully, if I understood fully the workings of my brain, I would be awake. And the second man believes, quote, If I fully understood the workings of my gut, I would be awake. But a third man was closer to the truth, for he would say to himself, if I understood fully the workings of my gut, I would understand the workings of my brain. But a third man says, if I understood the workings of my gut, I would understand the workings of my brain. Everyone lives by instinct, but in their minds most believe that they live by mental concepts. Such a belief makes man able to rearrange the environment to better suit himself, but does nothing to instruct him regarding inner world, but in fact confuses him when he turns his attention thereto. And someone asks, are you saying that the mind always lies to itself? No, the better way of looking at it for the moment would be to say that the mind is not physically capable of saying anything factual about itself that will assist in understanding its actual nature. Remember, only the enlightened do not know what is going on in the conceptual world for the simple reason that they know full well what is going on there. A father inquired of his son, would you rather be witty, clever, and mentally impressive or have good digestion? And the lad was already too close to the light to fall on such an attractive hand grenade. One man, one man poured a bit of water into an uninflated balloon, tied the end, laid it, laid it on a counter, and with his thumb began to press down where the water was, attempting to hold it steady in one spot. He says that doing this reminds him of his efforts to calm his mind. Neat. But since he didn't mention it, does he not realize that his thumb and the water are the same thing? Even if you could train your dog to stay in your yard, yard's entire universe in which to run wild. Don't say that I brought that up. I'll deny it. Headline, more about conceptions and instinct. Put in strict though artificially discrete terms, if you're thinking, you're conceiving. And if you're eating, you're instincting. If you're eating and thinking about something, onward. Page five. Turning away from his typewriter, a lad said to his dad, I enjoy writing about waking up almost as much or more than I do actually trying to do it. Is this dangerous? Yes, his father replied. Then after a brief silence, the boy asked, 
But is it natural? Yes, replied his father. And after another short pause, the kid asked, So, it's both dangerous and natural. Yes, said his elder, and this time, the pause of silence lasted four years. Query. If one of the attributes of something is that it is natural, how can it have any other characteristics? One man said, Turtles are the only creatures I know who have a real self. And someone asked him why he says that, and he replied, Because they're the only ones who do not try to give the impression that they have a self. That's the key clue that they do. And the one who asked about it was then left to dangle and wonder where such an idea places man. See, right there is where all the useless problems and meaningless questions arise. From man all the time wondering where he stands in relationship to this or that something or other. If self-analysis produced any nourishing fruit, would not all men by now be fully self-aware and bursting at the seams with the understanding of everything? Headline, The Sound of One Half of a Man Awakening. States one man, I have adopted the position that says, An enlightened man is not controlled by conditions. So, if conditions make me want to act one way, I struggle against doing so. Thus, I am not controlled by conditions. Assuming we overlook the fact that it was conditions that caused me to struggle against what they initially wanted to make me do. I guess I could be subtitled freedom of a sort. <laughs> the freedom of the foolish. As uniquely capable as is the mind, in some ways it seems either unable or else unwilling to distinguish between what is real and what is not. For instance, a man can stand in front of the remains of the Colosseum in Rome and say, There is history. There is not history. There are the remains of a physical structure. There is no such actual thing as history. History truly does not exist. A man looks at the Colosseum, and his mind can say that it is history, as words he has read regarding Rome's past flow through his head. What is essential in man's life are things all physical. His culture and other non-essential pastimes have no reality other than what the mind gives to them. And under routine conditions, men appear to be oblivious to this protruding fact. No small numbers of men claim to seek the truth and say they want to distinguish the real from the unreal. But few show any signs of having traveled the final inner distance to make such a realization possible. And it is such a simple matter. If it's in the mind, it's unreal. And if it's outside the mind, it is real. Beyond this, there is truly nothing else to look for. But note, just telling the mind this doesn't instantly awaken it to the fact. For the matter is as complex as the universe itself, yet as simple as a drop of water. All you need do is look at what's really there and not at what's not. One Thursday morning, the elder of a certain monastery for awakening addressed the assembled neophytes and declared, Groove on this, my little would-be groovers. That is the absolute, the thorough uselessness of self-analysis if we have no self. Until too long in the tooth, everyone seeks excitement, which is to note that all living creatures react to stimuli and that the and that the one species with mental concepts will in fact seek out same when none is instantly extant. Some men seek excitement in matters instinctive, while others look for theirs in matters mental. 
But either approach matters not for the few seeking the truth about things. For to ever get to the bottom of all this, you must find a form of individual excitement not listed in any common calendar of upcoming public events. The excitement of trying to make up in the trying to the excitement of trying to wake up in the non conceptual to the non conceptual realization of life is known only to those who discover how to properly try to do it, and who finally find out how to properly not try to do it. The coin of the realm in the land of the liberated has on one side stamped struggle. And on the other, no struggle. And it alone has any value. One man has two views on the same matter. Sometimes he believes that if you constantly thought about thinking, that you'd be awake. While at other times it seems to him that to constantly think about thinking would be to be asleep. Question, can a man reasonably hold two conflicting views of the same matter? Yes, if he is closing in on the place where the light clearly shines. Giving up or throwing away physical items of which you are fond can indeed be a challenge, but doing so with mental ones is almost beyond human ability. Thus I note for you again that while the paramount rule in rock climbing is to never let go of what you're holding to until you're holding to something else. The rule for scaling the sheer wall of liberation is the exact opposite. In desperate times, say to yourself, a man who believes anything regarding the non-physical world is a fool. Really. Literally, he is a fool. A great little reminder. And finally, one headlined the curious, curious curse of those who would awaken. Only when they think of sleep do they dislike being asleep. But that's not the truly curious part. What's truly strange is that none of them seemed to face this inescapable fact and attempt to learn therefrom. Indeed, a most curious affair. See if I can make it useful, potentially, again, or again I'll try. A very clear distinction that people do not want to make, and the more that the people involved consider themselves to be spiritual or mystical, the less interest they have in this fact. And that is that there is an absolute clear distinction between the physical world and the non-physical world. But, oh, such people would immediately say, well, that is at the heart of what we believe. All religions continually talk about the difference between the carnal, the physical world, and the spiritual world, between the world of man and the world of God. And mystics do it in their own way. But they're still subject to what I pointed out. Which is, so you got it. Well, there are two things. And I'm saying this, going through this again, that you find a way to use it. Because, as you know, I'm not just interested in making sociological commentary of some kind. But the mind of man has this affair wrong, generally, in two specific ways. The people who consider themselves to be spiritual in any sense of the word, they will claim to see a very clear distinction between the physical world and the non-physical. And they would generally want to say the spiritual world. And they see them in very distinct qualitative terms. That there is something inherently wrong, evil, misleading, 
I guess that covers it. In the physical world. And it is only in the spiritual realm that anything worthwhile, and many times they like to stress, worthwhile in the infinite sense. That is, you may not understand how worthwhile until you die. Then be sure and write and let us know. <laughs> but at any rate, they say that, and of course it's almost a good argument, if you're going ahead and want to believe in life after death, is they say, well, just look at the physical life. It's finite. They love to point out that, well, yeah, you look healthy now, but someday you'll be getting old, you'll be getting sick, you may have a lingering illness, you'll have boils all over you, and you'll be turning yellow, and people won't want to come in the same room with you, and you'll smell bad, and you can't remember your name, and then you'll die. And people think, Jesus, that is horrible. <laughs> you know, that's the life of the body. That's the physical life. That's what you're faced with. But they can say anything they want to about the spiritual life. They can say yes. But once we get through this veil of sin, sadness, illness, and we go home to be with God, go to paradise. Then we will not be afflicted. We will live forever in the Spirit. So in other words, when it comes down to it, the physical world is bad. And the spiritual world is good. I stall because I can suddenly just contemporaneously think of four or five really smart-ass comments to make. <laughs> For them, as questions. The kind of thing of saying... Does anybody on this planet ever use their brain in the way that even I, as stupid as I am, even I can use my brain in a way that makes me say, that's not right. There is something terribly flawed about that. And it doesn't take, I don't have to go off and sit down and have one cup of coffee. <laughs> and the other way that they have it wrong, well, in other words, you, I assume you get what I'm saying. I'm saying suggesting before I get around to saying it, that they have it backwards as far as anything is either this way or that, which is not, but they have it backwards. The other error that I said is most common is that similar to their distinction that the physical world, the physical world, the physical life is bad. It's inherently evil. It's inherently flawed. And they love to point out death as being Christianity and Judaism and, and Islam. But anyway, they really fell into it that that is the curse that man plays for offending God. That before he made God mad, before man sinned, he was eternal himself. That God didn't make him to die. As long as he was in the Garden of Eden, everything was all right. But now death... Is part of the curse. That and work. I never have to figure out which is worse. But anyway. <laughs> if I remember my Old Testament, that was part of the curse that God said, get out and you're, now you're going to have to work for a living plus you're going to die. <laughs> there's was a joke in there somewhere. He throws out a mountain and says, all right, double curse. First you're going to die. And Adam thinks, well, Jesus, what could be worse than that? And he says, and you're going to have to work before you do. That's what I should have at any rate, the other way that I'm saying that there is just a, that they make an error is that the spiritual world is, in fact, the real one and that the physical world, the physical life, is the unreal. Now, of course, they're having to face this. They can bypass this. no big deal. You don't have to major in philosophy for a minister, a priest, or a rabbi. To say, oh yeah, while we're here on this planet, while we're living, the physical life, the physical world is real. You can be poisoned, you can be sick, someone can shoot you, you can lose your possessions. But the truth is, in the infinite scheme of things, ultimately, the physical life, the physical world is the unreal one. In some of the further eastern religions, as they're called, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, even says, it's just an extenuation a prior extenuation, they just say, well, that the physical life, the one we lead now, the unawakened life, 
is, in fact, the whole thing's an illusion. Oh, yeah, we can touch it, and we will get sick, and we will die. But if we have awakened, if we have lived a proper life, and we don't have to come back and keep repaying old karmic debts, that when we come back, we'll be in the spirit then, or after death, in paradise, in heaven. But if we come back on a better level, that that is the spiritual life, and it is indeed the spiritual life, which is ultimately the real one, and the physical life is ultimately the unreal one. And again, I can think of a number of real smart-ass responses to that. But it, it is also beautiful. Once you, I assume I'll ever give some credit to the mind anyway. But this whole arrangement, because it, I don't know the way to say it, it makes sense if you listen to it with the ordinary mind. That is, it makes sense in spite of the fact of what I'm insinuating, of course, and holding back my myriad possible smart-ass comments, is that everything that I have said there are those two main views of spiritual people. You just look at life and you think, you've got it absolutely backwards. You have took the observable, the readily observable reality of life that any idiot should know, and you have just turned it inside out. You have turned it absolutely around and reversed everything. Except, if you listen to it with ordinary mind, I understand why people don't. Of course, I'm being metaphysical. I don't understand why people don't. Because I don't understand anything. At least, I'm, at least I've reached that level. But at any rate. It almost, or it does, make sense to the ordinary mind. That is, if you followed what I said, which is easily observable, the way I put it to you tonight, the way I normally put it about the primary and secondary world, or as I was going to call it, the essential world and the human world. The essential world is the physical world. It's where we live. All things that are essential to life are physical. If you notice, people do not make note of that. People will argue that, intelligent people. If I said everything that's essential to man's life is physical, intelligent people, not just spiritual fanatics, but intelligent people, would deny that. They would say, well, that's not true. They would say, how about art, literature, not the books, of course, but the stories, the ideas. How about philosophy? How about the study of history, the appreciation of history? There is nothing essential that is not physical. I'm sorry, that's just a fact. I challenge you to just look and you know it's true. If it's essential to life, it's physical. Anything else, I say, and I challenge you to look at it, no matter how you cut it, anything that's not physical is an elective course. It's a distraction. It's a pastime. But now humanity... If you want to, instead of me calling it the secondary world or the human world, you could call it culture. People always want to argue that about exactly what it means. That's all it means. It's everything in man's life that's not physical. That's culture. And it, it's every bit of it is a process, a product of the mind, of the human mind. There is nothing essential to life that's a product of the human mind. The human mind did not invent food. The human mind did not sit around and design sexual reproduction or any kind of reproduction. The human mind did not or indeed the matter and decide it would be good since we're sentient creatures, it'd be good if we react to external stimuli. You know, if it gets too hot, we'll get out of the way. If it gets too cold, we'll try to get warm. If we feel big, large teeth out of a saber-toothed tiger biting through our flesh, we'll try to get our flesh out of the way. There is nothing that's essential to life. There is nothing that the mind has ever invented that was essential. So you can look at it as being that which is essential and that which is cultural. Now, the way things stand, we all know, as I'm saying, it does not take a religious person by any means, just ordinary humanists. Intelligent, ordinary people would then insist, at first they might not want to argue me on this basis, but you... I'm sure you'll follow what I'm saying. They would say that culture is essential. And again, they're damn near correct. But the way I put it to you, you can't live a fully human life without the inventions of the mind. 
Or to put it another way, you can't live a fully human life without going to sleep, as we call it. You must, to start with. No one lives a fully human life who is not asleep and deluded. No one lives a fully human life who does not believe in the damn near essential, at least in part, of man's culture, of secondary affairs, of strictly human affairs. And it fits, because it's these strictly human affairs were not of some real necessity. Why would humans have invented them? So there's no way that you can argue with people like that. There's certainly no way that you can prove that culture, my secondary reality of old, that is, there's no way that you can argue that it is absolutely unessential. Because for me to say that, it's not true. Because I would have accomplished nothing if I could wipe out culture. I wouldn't wake up people. I mean, if I was some kind of idiot and thought it was my job to wake up humanity, and I suddenly had the power that I could wipe out the strictly human realm, even while I can say that the, it is the human realm in which we sleep. The mind is the sole source of what we call a sleep and delusion. It's not the body. It's not the physical world. It's the mind. So I could say if it were it not for the mind and its children, we would not be asleep. There would be nothing for our dogs to continually chase. We'd be down to the essentials. We'd be awake. It would seem or we wouldn't be asleep. But then to say, okay, then if all culture was gone, if all the products of the secondary world, all products of the mind were gone, would we be awake? No. It's not the way it goes. But people, humanity, including people like mystics, do not realize this. Not just the religious, but now I've had a one normal human lifetime almost now of being around exposed to contemporaneous times of people who believe that they're trying to awaken, who believe that they're Sufis or Zenists or Fourth Wayers or whatever, yogas. And they are living, they're not struggling against a dream, they're living in a dream. Because you're going to live in a dream unless you understand what the mind is. Back to my challenge. It just doesn't sound right, and I can argue it away. But the way I put it to you, that anything that's outside the mind is essential. And anything that's in the mind is not essential. Or the way I really like it, it always cheers me up. Anything outside the mind is real. Anything inside the mind is unreal. Who would you find on this planet that would understand that? They just will immediately hear it and go, by God, that's true, and I understand everything. Thanks a lot. Of course, I always think, sure, there is somebody somewhere. I just don't have the energy, I guess, to go out and look for them. But that continues. I say titillate. I continue to find it useful. It has never become devoid of all nourishment. For me to realize, I can be sitting around writing this stuff, having great enlightened thoughts, and suddenly realize that anything in the mind is unreal. Everything I read to you tonight, I just made it up. It didn't come out of a tin mine. I didn't harvest it out in a cornfield. It didn't come down with the rain. There's nowhere I can put my hands on these so-called facts and news items and models. And ordinary people, you would, again, it just invites abject sarcasm, if they're doing good, to point out that people on this planet, mystics and non-mystics alike, philosophers, educated people, ordinary people, the mind of ordinary man is either unable I always try to give them a way out, is either unable or unwilling to realize that everything in the mind is unreal. The mind can make plans, and it can get the, the hands of a person to go out and move around physical items on this planet that man did not invent, that man did not design, that man did not produce. They were here. His mind can think up new arrangements for them, 
and his hands can move them around. And whatever he moved around, if it's physical, it's real. It's neither good nor bad. Doesn't matter whether it's an atomic bomb or a hairbrush. It's real. But if it's in the mind, it's unreal. What else are you going to call it? There have been philosophers, I think even more than mystics from my passing knowledge, that have fiddled around with this. They would never come right out, evidently could see it directly, or wouldn't have posed the question as bluntly as that. But what else are you going to call? What goes on in the mind? If that table is real, then what are you going to call me thinking about the table, or me saying, that's an ugly table? Let's say you agree that that's an ugly table. Ordinary people believe that something happened. If I say, isn't that table ugly? And you say, it sure is. I was thinking the same thing. I just didn't want to mention it. And maybe we look at each other like, well, two kindred spirits, at least two people with decent taste. Because I picked out an easy one. We could have heard some, if there's two people listening to some self-appointed enlightened master speak, and it gets through, and one person in the audience turns to another and says, is that not the most enthralling, helpful speech that you've ever heard in your life? No person says, yes, it is. It now makes me want to go on and continue my struggle for enlightenment. This has been just an outstanding experience in my life. What happened? And you know I'm not about to be just crudely sarcastic about that. I understand it. But what happened? It'd be one thing if the enlightened master had handed out bubble gum or candy or... And you might think, here's where the mind just... And people might think, well, he did better than that. He handed out a book of his writings. And this book is physical. And if you don't watch it, you think, well, that's real. Well, yeah, the book's real. Yeah, yeah, but the idea is. It is just a beautiful arrangement, besides being strange. The less people understand about the mind, and this is just meaningless relativity, but the less people understand about the mind, the more they seem convinced, the more they claim to be convinced of the superior nature, the superior reality of things that are unreal. That is, the less people understand about the mind in general up until our times, the more religious they are. The more that they just swear that there's nothing more real in their life than God. That they talk to God, God talks to them. God leads them, tells them what to do. In times of trouble, they go on their knees or do whatever it is. They meditate and God speaks to them and offers good, solid advice. And I always wait like, well, somebody somewhere is going to realize what's going on. Well, there's something going on. Well, you've about seen everything if you can just realize. I used to like this picture. I believe I've presented it to you before. But what I'm describing is as though, <clears throat> let's say it, for some reason I think a child when I think of this, <clears throat> that a child invented this little toy and put it out there, he believes is God. Or I could come up with other things. But he looks at it and forgets that he invented it. He, he wants to rush around and get all his friends and his parents and say, Papa, everybody come look, this marvelous thing. I've never seen a thing like it. My whole life has changed now that I've seen that. And nobody remembers why I invented that. You can't blame it on men. It's the mind operating. But am I not correct that it seems that either, under ordinary condition, men's minds are either incapable, ordinary people, and I'm not attacking them because the world's full of people smarter than I am by all IQ measurements, but that the mind of ordinary men, six billion men on this planet, is either incapable or just simply unwilling, which would say that the mind has no interest in realizing that everything that's in the mind is imaginary. I like Unreal better because, to me, it sounds more offensive. Because <laughs> people argue about, well, what's imaginary? People know what Unreal means. Unreal means it's not real. 
You go, yeah, but I can think about it. To me, God is real. Well, you can think that. And people would, but you understand what I'm saying? And the people who, the, the less, again, this means nothing. Because all six billion people, as far as I can tell, are in the same boat. But to use religion is one of the great, probably the best example. This understanding a man has of his own mind. The less interest he has, the more that such a person will absolutely insist, my God is real. And there are people who claim that they're prepared to die. That is, that they would let the unreal triumph over the real. That they would let imagination triumph over the essential. And according to history, as we all know, there are people who apparently have done that. I've never seen it in person. And for many years, I just took it at face value that they said that people were prepared to be burned at the stake or killed rather than renounce God. And one day, just one of these obvious facts hit me. I've never seen that personally happen. Have you? I can't resist. I want to point out something else. This is getting... Well, surely you can follow it. There is a belief. Again, although the six billion people on this planet, their minds do not look at life and the real and the unreal in the terms I'm using, the way I'm describing it. And from one quite valid view, they have it backwards. But just what I was saying then pops up in another way. That people believe that culture can triumph over the essential. Now, they don't use the terms, but here it comes. Because this is something that's been going on for the last 20 years in our area of the world. The continuing complaint of some feminists and other people, political commentators, uh, over the rise in uh, anorexia, etc., all kinds of eating disorders, because of society, which is culture. But they usually say because of societies, our society especially. If it's in France, they'll say especially French society, or here they'll say especially American society, has placed such a great premium, based upon all these fashion models, such a great premium over the thin, almost gaunt-like, feminine figure. And now we have young girls, helpless girls in their formative years, now starving themselves to death, creating all kinds of physical and emotional problems. Society has done this. If any of you were going to get it, I, you would have gotten it now before I even say any more. This is a form of believing in God or life after death, that it seems so appealing that if you don't understand anything about the mind, you can go, go yes, and you can say with the spirit. That is, the mind is the real, and the physical is ultimately the unreal, which at least based upon the life we lead now, let's discount a future life. The life you lead right now, that is demonstratively untrue even to a moron. All right, the idea that society, that a group of men, or a group of gay men, or God knows what, a group of you know, women haters, have come up with this idea that the ideal feminine figure is gaunt, that is 79 pounds, and that it's running the help to women that they have now been brainwashed and that they've now been bamboozled into believing that that's all that men want. Do you know what they're saying? It's a form of religion. It's a form, not of religion, but it's a form of what I said about the, believing that the spirit is the, that is, the mind is the real and the physical is the unreal. They're believing that the unreal can triumph over the essential. Do I have to point out to you that that's an illusion? In the same way, that for a man to say, all right, kill me, but I will not denounce God. According to you know, history, there's been many, 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 many thousands of people have done that. But notice I said, have you ever seen it happen personally? None of us have. You assume, if you're an ordinary mind, you assume it's true because there's too much history. All right? If you're of an ordinary mind, you would assume that this idea that societies 
current notion of feminine beauty being a starved-looking waif of a girl, that that is causing great problems to impressionable young girls, you're believing that the non-essential, the cultural, the invented, that the secondary world can triumph over the essential primary world. And you hear it enough. And somebody says, well, in fact, I had a daughter. I know somebody I read about a girl that almost starved to death and said she wanted to look like such and such person. And people go, that's awful. You have very bad mental eyesight if you believe that the secondary, that the cultural can triumph over the essential. And I know that you can look and think, well, it's got to be true. Here's a variation of this. This is not ever brought up in these public debates. Uh, and again, as always, I assume you know the purpose of bringing this up is not having to do with women's health or fashion or attractiveness. I am speaking specifically about the real and the unreal, the essential and that, which is simply in men's minds, men and women, of course. Here's another one, a variation that's not talked about, an aspect of this. The idea that these fashion models, these skin and bone, are now the ideal woman to American men. Let's leave it in America for a minute. And that that is what is driving women into these fits of illness, anorexia and bulimia and all that, eating disorders. Because they want to be the epitome of an attractive woman. That is taking... That is absolutely ignoring the fact, to take this now from another side, let's change the gender, that in some way, that, quote, society, any secondary activity, any human endeavor can make a woman attractive to a man sexually that he was not already attracted to. Plus, it's a known fact. This is known, people just don't put it together, but this is a known fact. Somebody's always, every few years I read it, that they do a worldwide survey about what attracts men uh, to certain forms of women, and it holds true with just very few exceptions. There's a couple of places in the world that like them on the heavier side, but it turns out all races, all cultures, they discuss men, there's a certain kind of ratio to breast size, to hip size. Uh, there's a certain coloring that appeals primarily to all kinds of men, but let's just leave it to the figure. And the figure, it doesn't vary that much. It's almost the same ratio, hip to breast size, and then, of course, anthropologists and other people have tried to say that at some essential, some hormonal level, what it represents is, to a man, the ability for a woman to be a good child bearer with the big hips, and then to be a good mother is represented by the big breast, or the breast of a certain size and relationship. Here's the point. They go all over the world. They surveyed people from one continent to another. And they've done it recently. I'm not making this up for a change, I don't think. I'm not. And in no culture, no race, no man anywhere, did it come out that what they liked was a 79-pound woman who looked like a stick. It didn't even show up. Not even on the screen. Nobody even mentioned it. But notice, uh, I hope you didn't lose your place in all this. I've just been a great, it hits me every time I hear about it, and I've always wanted to bring it up some way. There is something that you know is considered a problem. Uh, there are whole wings of uh, universities. They're studying what well, we know that there is now a whole new, or classified as a whole new psychological, a clinically diagnosable problem, eating disorders that their girls starving themselves to death. And why? Not because of some illness, not because of a virus, because of society, because of our cultures, the premium that we have put on skinniness, which I don't know any man who puts a premium on skinniness. I don't know any woman who starved herself to death. I know all the stories. And I'm not saying that there's somebody somewhere who is now not doing something nutty about eating. But there are people who do things that appear to be nutty, and I say nutty, that are non-beneficial physically to people who eat too much. Again, I hope you didn't get lost amidst all this. 
But there is something that is considered to be an up-to-date problem. And from one view, it would be considered that if you were aware of the eating disorder problem and how it's connected to society's uh, faults, the false premium that our society today has put on thinness in women, that would be probably considered one of the cutoff lines or one of the benchmarks as to how sophisticated and intelligent you are. The point being, uh, you do understand if you and Dan hung into redneck bars around bricklayers and their, their wives and girlfriends out in the trailer park, I doubt that many of them's ever even heard of anorexia. And if you told them that there are women who starve themselves to be thin, I bet you there'd be a bunch of the guys that look at their wives and go, well, hell, I wish you'd get it. That kind of thing. And if you did explain it to them and told them it was a problem, do you imagine or can't you picture what their reaction would be? They go, goddamn people in the city are crazier than I thought. You mean there are people who are starving themselves, refuse to eat because they want to look like that they're starving to death? And they think that that'll make them, that, there are women that do that and think that that'll make them attractive? And if you said, yes, this is a big problem in the big cities, you do know their reaction. And I'm saying rednecks all around the world, bricklayers all around the world. The people, that, people in that area of the parade. They simply wouldn't believe it. And if you insist it was true, they just go, Jesus, people are crazier than I thought. And I'm glad I didn't finish grammar school. But I had more education. You know, me and my old lady might be nuts like that. But I'm back to the point. It would be considered, from that view, the reason I went through that, it would be considered probably a higher class problem. At least middle class. Because you're not going to find girls out in trailer park suffering from anorexia. That's my opinion. If there are people suffering, you're not going to find them in trailer parks. You're not going to find them in the lower eco-sociological spectrum throughout the world. You have to be middle class, and it's probably. I'll bet you. I just bet you, now that I think about it, that the real diagnosed problems of girls being treated by a psychiatrist somewhere for eating disorders of this nature, I'll bet you all of them are in families way above the 100,000 year, they're, they're in the upper middle class at least. It's an upper class type problem. Because people down at the essential level, this is foolishness. They, they don't even think about it. It's like a hobby. It's like desperation. There was another news item I didn't get to tonight that I pointed out that everybody seeks excitement until you become a bit too long in the tooth. But people seek excitement. All creatures seek excitement. If you're alive, that's one of the descriptions of being alive is a reaction to stimuli. And most creatures, apparently, they get all the stimuli they need. If they don't think, they just lay around, they get hungry, they're stimulated internally, and they go out until they bump around to something that they can eat that doesn't eat them. They stumble around to the, of course, putting it crudely, and stumble around in the physical environment until they find until they bump into something that stimulates their saliva glands, and they realize this is good food. This is proper food for me. But the rest of the time, they seem to nap, except for otters. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to use otters someday, maybe Wednesday, because i got a new one I'm going to finally spring on you. Maybe I'm going to use otters. I've always wanted to talk about them, because I think about them a lot. You know what they are to me? They're making fun of everything. <laughs> Which I'll give you a hint as to Wednesday's topic. I've been saving this. I think some of you will like Wednesday. That is, uh, I'm hoping to offend and upset everybody. At any rate, back to what I was saying, it is considered to be a very sophisticated, up-to-date, and real problem. I'm telling you. I'm offering you a challenge because it's hard for me to... I can't convince you, nor am I going to try. I'm not saying that there are not people somewhere who, by observation, seem to be starving themselves. They seem to be eating so little that it's doing them physical damage. And I know that they're classified now as being having an eating disorder. And I, have, I don't question the fact that this is going on, that they're girls, that their parents are paying a psychiatrist. I'm not questioning that, but I'm asking you to consider this. I'm just telling you, something, it does not happen if you can see it. 
Take it as a challenge. I'm telling you, the secondary world does not overcome. The human world does not overcome the essential. Now, sometimes it does, but we, we all know that it, it is an acute, an obscene anomaly. Suicide being the obvious one. And even that, I don't know how good you people are getting. People don't commit suicide. I'll leave that to you. It would appear to be. I'm just trying to get you going. It would appear to be that that was the one time that the survival instinct, which would be the most real of essentials, because you can lump together sex, food, decent environment, all under the survival instinct, and you can say, well, for some reason. Of course, the suicides, as we know, uh, the more you are in the Western, the up-to-date intellectual world, suicide is considered to be a psychological problem. That is, when I commit suicide, they indeed, at the moment they did it, must be insane. Because who, being sane, would destroy themselves? That the most basic instinct of all living creatures is to stay alive. And so you could say, well, something in their life, some heartbreak, something happened. And you might be inclined, I know I took a serious sidestep, you might be inclined to say, that's why I brought it up, that suicide might be the one exception to where the human realm overcame the essential, whereas the unreal overcame the real. But even that's not true. I'll leave that to you. But at any rate, the unreal does not overcome the real. And even when it appears to is why people consider suicide to be such an abhorrent act and why we always consider. And if it's some famous person, then everybody, there's a whole bunch of books written as to why did it happen. Now, here was you know, Hemingway. Some think somebody actually committed suicide, and here is the world's most revered author. Why would a man do that? And suddenly, everybody's got books about the problems he had, things we didn't know about, this and that. Because they assume, the human mind collectively assumes that a rational human cannot, will not go against the essential drives. And that was my challenge to you. Is I've already said it. I'm just saying it doesn't happen. And yet you're surrounded by such things as eating disorders, the belief in martyrdom that it's happened, that the human mind does believe. And as I said to open with God, the idea of God and life after death, all of that, that's the supreme belief in the unreal, that the mind made it up, the human mind made it up, then looks at it and then calls it more real or calls it ultimately the reality as opposed to my foot, as opposed to my digestion, as opposed to a tree, a mountain. And people wonder why it's so hard to, quote, wake up. Wake up from what? You're in a madhouse. No, you're not. You are a madhouse. That's the funny part. But then if you don't watch, you go, well, all right, I'll accept that, but I'm trapped in there. No, you're a madhouse. There's nobody in there. That's what the madness is. I've got to get out of here. No, you are the madhouse because if you look in, there's nobody in there. There's nobody wanting to get out. I shouldn't have started that because then I have to point out to you, everybody believes anybody that's interested in this, that yes, I want to awaken. I want to achieve enlightenment. Well, that's fine until you look inside and say, who does? And there's nobody in there. So you're left with, I, well, nobody does. And then you leave thinking, but I still do. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. That's the hint. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.